This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. It's so great we've got a guest in the studio. Doesn't happen very often, does it, Blair? (laughs) Usually on the phone, but in person's better. (laughs) It's totally great. Taylor Mark is our guest. She's a certified financial planner, chartered life underwriter, certified health insurance specialist, over 15 years of experience in the financial industry, um, specializes in estate planning, uh, which really comes down to income protection, wealth accumulation, tax. She's just got a ton of background and experience. She's the founder and CEO of Engrace Financial Solutions. And Blair just told me, YouTube star mm-hmm. has uh, has a series on YouTube called Street Smarts with Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Blair. Thank you so much for having me. Now, um, th- did you want to talk about the, the YouTube series? Because you were on yeah. it too. Is that why you want to talk that, about it? That's kind of why, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe just just a, a quick a quick tale if you can give our listeners a bit of a sense of you know what is Street Smarts, why did you start it, and what type of guests have you had? Obviously, I was I think one of your most recent guests, and I'm looking yes. forward to getting that up. But yeah, can you tell us a bit about Street Smarts? Well, the idea of Street Smart came along because I have a tendency to spend a lot of time talking to clients about the different products and and really spending time to educate them on the different options and strategies available. And then at some point, somebody just say, "Well, you should just you know have that recorded so you don't have." to keep repeating yourself. <laughs> right. oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. So that started the the journey to get to this the Street Smarts with Taylor video series. And essentially it's pretty short uh maybe around three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's in the beginning for season is essentially for me to talk about some very basic things. What's RSP? What's TFSA? What's life insurance? And within a three minute period, you can't really get into it. In our second season that we just finished um, filming with you, Blair, mm-hmm. to be on our, as one of our guests, is, is to get deeper into the different subjects that we talked about in the first season. So mm-hmm. for example, with Blair, we really Really got him to dig into how to deal with debts because yep. we had a video on debts, just a very general idea. Uh, and and the idea and the hope is to continue moving forward and and to just to keep giving information to people and allowing them to have a place where hopefully they could trust me to to speak into uh, their financial planning needs. Excellent. Well, yeah, we'll encourage our listeners if they go on YouTube and they look up Street Smarts with Taylor, they yes. can like, subscribe, and see all the wonderful videos. Yes, and please, thank you. Great stuff. Well, it's good. Like, information's power, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's the key is, is to give people as much information as possible to mm-hmm. make the best decisions they can based on their own circumstances. And if they need more, then they've already, I would think they already would know you a little bit or feel like they know you to walk in the door. Yeah, and I, the idea of the videos really is to give the, the, the general public like at least some ideas of what to ask or mm-hmm. what to look into. Sure. And then they can go from there and talk to their own financial advisors on the different things that's suitable for them. Excellent. So the, the, the topic for this segment is with Taylor is called, What Do People Miss Out On? So 
I bet that there's a ton of things that you hear consistently from people that they're either uh, failing to consider or regret Mm -hmm. not having taken advantage of. And I really am looking forward to hearing your answer on this. So what are they? It's too bad that we don't have days to get into this and Mm -hmm. only just this time. Uh, I narrowed down to three different areas. The first one, the biggest one really, is that we can't turn back time and it's really too bad that uh, people don't think to start saving early, early on. Mm. And and they start feeling the need when, you know, all the all the craziness are done. Like the kids are grown, the mortgage is somewhat paid off, yep. and they can see retirement looming ahead. And then they start talking to someone like me and says, okay, what do I need to do to, to get you know, set so that I would have a retirement income. And, and that's when all the, all the things come up as far as I wish we could have. Because, you know, if you could at age 18 or even as a child, the parents start saving on behalf of clients mm-hmm. and, and just continue moving forward. That would be so great because it's all about uh, the value of money and, and time. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the, People hear about um, the miracle compounding as an example. Yeah, compound interest. And we talk about interest rates working against you with debt, Mm -hmm. but interest rates can work for you, right? Powerfully. Over time, if you have enough time to to save, oh my gosh, you could do so much with the power of compounding. I have an example if we could get into it a little bit. Yep. So, for example, if you're age 18, have your first job, and you start putting aside $100 a month, and just keep doing that, you know, just just don't worry about it and just keep doing that and just assume that there's a 5% interest rate over the course of that period until uh, your age 65, which is your average retirement time. You could have accumulated throughout that period of with $100 a month over a quarter million dollars wow. just to do that. And yeah. if you actually break down the numbers, you only put in the principal amount is only about $56,000, you know, $100 every month over the years, over the years. Yes. But the actual interest amount that is a, over $170,000. And mm. that's the power of compounding go, going, you know, for that length of time. So that's awesome if you can start doing, let's say, at age 18. But if you have to do it, let's say, at age 48, which is where a lot of my clients start coming to see me about things like that, uh, then you have to at least put aside $800 a month to do the same hmm. work right. to get to that at age 65. Right. Which is a lot. And, Which and, is a lot. And I really like your assumption here because sometimes I know various industries can get criticized for using very rosy assumptions. Oh, you're going to earn 15% in your money or 12%, yeah. but this is 5%. That's a reasonable long-term it's return, possible. right? Yeah. It's possible. Mm-hmm. But... The thing is, $800 a month to get a quarter million dollars upon retirement at age 65 doesn't get you very far. Mm. So if that's all you're, you know, all you got, then you really actually realistically need to set aside maybe two, three, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month to get to the point where you're able to 
potentially retire at 65 and live out the rest of your life the next, what, 10, 15, 20 years or more. The longer we live, the more money you need to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, And that's a crazy amount of money. Because if you're be. able to put away that amount of money a month, then saving for your retirement's probably not a, an mm-hmm. issue, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you're in another stratosphere altogether. And I, I like this... You know, why don't people start saving early? And I, I've heard this question asked so many times, and I've asked myself that question, like, why didn't I do this earlier? Because I'll, yeah. I'll know somebody who started saving when they were mm-hmm. 15 or 16. Um, and it's, it's almost, and my father was one of those people who said, start putting 10% away. But one, I didn't listen to him. But two, <laughs> he was kind of abnormal because not everybody got that as a young kid growing yeah. up to do that. Uh, and it's a it's a society thing, an education thing. It's people's stuff about money get in the way of passing good information to their kids. What is it? That It's all of that, is Elaine. And, and honestly, it's just... You know, it has to start at home. It has to start with the parents teaching their kids how to save, how to set aside that 10% is absolutely mm. the thing to do. Yeah. Your, if there's nothing else that parent, you do, yeah, <laughs> exactly. that, that's the one, right? If you could yeah. just do that, yeah. that would have been amazing. But aside from that, in our school system, we don't have, you know, a course that would really teach the, the kids in public school how to deal with money, how to start saving, what are the different things, how to deal with debts. That's such a big thing. And so that's one thing, not enough information. And the other aspect of it is that even if someone do get started in saving, the potential of having that account untouched for the next 40 or longer years is not really realistic. Because life happens mm. and things happen. People need to buy their place. They need to get married. They need to travel. There's emergencies. All of that, unfortunately, get them to dip into their saving account. And that's where the pattern breaks down. And, and once again, that power of compounding doesn't happen because we go into our money and mm. need to use it. So what I would think is is just finding a solution to first educate our kids properly and then second of all finding different things that we could do to to keep the money in place. Fair enough. Mm. Now I know go ahead Blair. No, I was just th- thinking Taylor if I was listening to the show now and I'm you know 18 years old and thinking I wish I was <laughs> and thinking okay <laughs> I, I can put away $100 a month I'd also be thinking you know am I too small of a client to engage an advisor? Uh, depends. I would talk to you personally, yep. uh, but I admit most advisors will have a hard time taking on someone just with $100 a month. Right. So find someone like me or... <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Well, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, just to get started, it's perfectly fine to, let's say, go to where you do your banking mm-hmm. and, and just set up a regular TFSA account and just... Develop the habit. Just automatic, really. hundred bucks moves over, and then exactly. after a few years, or even they said right off the bat, give you a call, or if you're not in their local market, they, sure. there might be an advisor that has a certain minimum size, but mm-hmm. you'll get that in a few years of savings, probably, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm so glad you said the TFSA because you hear that a lot. 
but it stands for, and it works, tax-free savings account. And we have it in this country, and it's probably one of the best things that the federal government ever decided I agree. to <laughs> give us yes. and to take full advantage of it if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain? Because we just have uh, about a minute, minute yeah. and a half You'll need or to so come left. back, Taylor, to talk about the other two big things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but the TFSA, because that's, that's totally accessible to everyone. And how does it work? Well, it's accessible to everyone 18 and over. Okay, and fair enough. I didn't realize that. Okay. And in BC specifically, you actually have to be 19 to get your first TFSA account started. Okay. So having said that, yes, beyond age thing, it is accessible to everyone. And I do have a video on the on my YouTube. Excellent. <laughs> Slow plug Cross there. promote. I like it. <laughs> Got to do that. Yeah. And uh, so TFSA is really just having the money inside this vehicle. It's really a wrapper. And inside this vehicle, it could be anything. It could be a regular saving account. It could be a GIC if you're doing this at a bank. Or it could be mutual funds or stocks. Uh, but whatever growth that you can get all of that saving account, that's tax-free. Yeah. And that becomes really powerful when you have a lot of money to work work with over time. Yes. So, And as long as you keep it in that mm-hmm. until you need it, right? It's not a taxable, it's not a taxable thing until you take it out. It's not taxable at all. Oh, because, that's, fair enough. Because the money that you put in there is after-tax money. And then, and then the, the beauty of it is then that whatever growth happens inside that account, that is the um, tax-free amount. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That's why you do what you do, and I do this job. <laughs> Taylor Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining us here. Um, I want to mention your YouTube series again. If you want to access it, very easy to do. It's called Street Smarts with Taylor, and Taylor's spelled T-A-A-Y-L-A. Uh, also, go to Engrace Financial Solutions, and I bet you've got a website as well. EngraceFinancial.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this segment is all about ways to save money. Now, I know, don't yawn, because these tips aren't from Blair or from a book or stuff that I've figured out, but from real folks who have had to deal with serious money issues and debt, whether it be bankruptcy or consumer proposals, regardless, they were in debt and they successfully got out of it. Uh, and I think this is a terrific segment for that reason. It's real, it's real tips from, from folks who have used them. Um, and Blair, you've had enough experience that you've gathered quite a few, which I think is just terrific. Oh, definitely. And that, that's one of the, the more gratifying parts of the job too, is you know seeing people go through that journey where sometimes in the first meeting, they're just completely hopeless. They think they'll never get out of debt. And we have a couple counseling sessions and they see, well, you know what, your life without these creditors calling can be totally different. And then just seeing the awakenings that some folks have mm-hmm. about, you know, you know, I can spend more time in nature and that's a lot less expensive. You know, I don't need to do this or that and I can save a few bucks a day and gee, I'm starting to put it away and I'm seeing that grow. Um, you know, money can be a source, you know, joy is, is a loaded term, but it can be a source of pride in your life rather than something that, you know, really drags you down all the time. Exactly. And these are some of the tips that hopefully, you know, can help you get to that point. Excellent. So first one on your list. 
Set a realistic budget. <laughs> yeah, you know you can't say this this enough. The best laid plans, um, you know, they're doomed to fail unless they're reasonable. And we all know this from you know any type of fad diet that perhaps there's very few mm-hmm. listeners that haven't tried. You know, if you really just try to suddenly restrict yourself down to a way that you had never lived before, uh, it's just going to be a matter of days or maybe weeks until you know you snap back because you just don't want to limit yourself as much. And that's dieting. Budgeting works the exact same way. So if you limit yourself too much, it's going to lead to you being stressed, and then when people get stressed, what do they do? Well, they spend impulsively and then suddenly there goes your budget. Right. So what I suggest people do to, to develop a budget is first take a month and figure out exactly where the money goes now. And I bet that's going to, if you haven't done this already, it's mm-hmm. going to be one of the hardest things yep. for you to do. Because yeah. I, I know it was for me and it was mind blowing at the end of the day when we looked at it and went, okay, things aren't as bad as I thought they were, or mm-hmm. maybe they are worse than what I thought they were. But it's such an eye-opener, and I'm a big fan of reality. Yeah, there's nobody that I've worked with that hasn't gotten at least one, maybe two real insights of you know how they're spending their money that's different from what they thought. Exactly. So you know the way to do this, you can do the high-tech or the low-tech approach. The low-tech is you can just get a little notebook. Uh, we've got them in our offices, you know, just basically daily planners, and there's enough room to write in, you know, here's what you spent your money on each day just by hand. Um, you know, the high-tech approaches, there's various apps out there, Mint being one of them, which is a free app. And if you just paid for everything with your debit card, for example, you can link your debit card and every purchase that goes, the app is going to log it and it's going to ask you to categorize things. Okay. So, you know, whichever one works for you, maybe it's a generational thing, but spend a month and figure out what exactly is happening now. But then when you're doing your revised budget, don't assume it's a different world. You're a different person. Things are going to be that mm-hmm. different. You know, adjust it reasonably. Um, you know, if you're spending $1,000 a month on one item that you need to reduce, reduce that by $100 a month. Don't take it to 500 because you're just not going to stick to it. Fair enough. I like the ne- the next one, selling items that you no longer use. Yeah. So lot, it's a good one. It's basic, right? A lot of things, if you were to look around your house or your apartment, it might have brought you joy in the past, but maybe now it's just collecting dust. And it's never been easier to move things like that. You know, whether it's Kijiji or Craigslist or even Facebook now, um, you know, Facebook's got its own marketplace as well. So at least, you know, the person you're dealing with, you know, you can see exactly their background too there. But there's so many different ways that something, again, maybe giving you no value, you might be able to get some money for. Yeah. Now, something that's definitely not... Nothing in my world here, but designer bags. So if there's anybody out there, um, you know, these things do tend to hold their value. So you might have something, maybe it's a hand-me-down, if it's the right brand name, um, you know, that can quickly unlock a little bit of money for you. Absolutely. If it's original, if it's in good shape, even if you don't like it anymore, somebody else will. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really important one. Same with shoes. I've seen shoes on different sites. I think, I don't know if I'd buy shoes, but... Man, if they were brand new and you hadn't worn them and you bought them when you were in New York City and now they don't fit... Well, yeah, maybe I'd take a look at that. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole movement towards vintage, right? So it's not used, it's vintage. So I'm sure a lot of us have various vintage things around that it's just a matter of connecting the right person. You know, even if you start to use eBay, well, that right person could be somewhere else in North America. You still might be able to get some money for those types of assets. Or just down the street. Yeah, or just down the street. You're right. Yeah, very cool. Um, Collections, I think this is a good idea Mm because, boy, oh, boy, if I could could sell some of the collections of stuff that I have in the house, I would. They're not mine. Mine to sell, but if I could, I would. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's, you know, some things, you know, there's no value to anybody. It's sentimental and they'll continue to take up space. Uh, but, you know, for me, when I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. I was just going to you know, say baseball cards. Yeah, and that would have been, you know, 91, 92. I remember I got complete sets for those years. If I look back, whose rookie cards do I have? You know, it's not going to be thousands of dollars, but there's a little bit of money there that if I wasn't getting any joy out of that collection anymore, I might be able to actually turn it into some funds. I have uh, a large, bo- or a good size box of metal dinky toys right. that go back to probably early 50s. Yeah, and there are collectors for those. Absolutely, yeah. there is. I, if I could just pry them out of my husband's hands, <laughs> yes. I could sell them. Indeed. Uh, paintings, of course, art, same thing. If you've collected art or bought a little bit of art, uh, there's always a market for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and appliances. Yeah. Yeah, no, lot, lots of different things, you know, a little kitchen appliance that maybe you're not using, a stand mixer or even a countertop dishwasher, you know, something yes. that maybe doesn't fit your space anymore. Again, just take a look around. If all it's doing is taking up space, you don't need to junk it. You can be environmentally friendly and you can also get some money out of it. Yeah. I like the fact that you included do-it-yourself stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you explain that. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the, the things that really touched me once was I, I was speaking with a client and sometimes I have that discussion about, well, what do you do about Christmas, right? So clients that come in, they can't spend a whole lot of money on, you know, Christmas gifts. Sure. Um, and I had a client explain to me that, you know, he really understood the spirit of Christmas when he went through a season where he actually, he couldn't afford to buy gifts, so he didn't. But what he did was he sat down and he wrote handwritten letters mm. to everybody important in his life. You know, it was at least a page or two pages and the people in his life, they didn't remember the last time they got a letter that nice. was handwritten. We all type things, emails, texts. You sit down, you write something, put it in an email, buy the stamp. That person that gets that is going to value that far more than if you had, you know, just bought a trinket or something that, you know, didn't mean a whole lot to them. This is something that's special, maybe sharing, you know, a memory, sharing what you think about the person, um, things like that. You know, yeah. definitely that'll be something that'll be cherished. Yeah. Um, you know, even from a card's point of view, yes. you know, instead of buying a birthday card for five or six bucks, um, you know, can you make it or can you download some clever meme or something and just turn into something humorous. And we've all we've all heard about really the thought that goes into it is what's going to be rem- remembered more than the money that's spent. And that's true today, as true today as it was yesterday, I think. Yep. Yeah. It yep. hasn't run out. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of a shopping list. I have to because I just can't remember this, <laughs> what I'm supposed to be getting. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a really good way to just, and I'm not a big fan of shopping, so it's good for me because it, it gets me in and gets me out, mm-hmm. but I also get everything that I need. as opposed to the stuff I don't need. Yeah. And, you know, how strict you go with this depends on, you know, whether there's some compulsions there or behavior that you really need to correct. Um, because we have some folks who come into our counseling sessions and the reason they're in bankruptcy is because there's compulsive shopping or mm-hmm. addictions or different things like that, sure. uh, which shopping can be an addiction. So, yes. you know, part of the, the rehab, so to say, so to speak, is, you know, you, you put them on a, a plan that, you know what, unless it's on your list, you don't buy it. Even right. if you think you need it, if it wasn't on the list, it's going to be on the next trip. Just getting people to the point where they can focus on what's on the list because the list is made, you know, in a, in a situation with no distractions. You know, you're in a room by yourself writing it down. As soon as you get into the store, it's not a fair fight. You've right. got products screaming at you from every yeah. every aisle, various promotions. You know, you walk through any of the big retailers, they're trying to give you a credit card as you walk down the aisles there. So it's a matter of saying, you know, I'm going to use what I need to get out of this store based on my list, as opposed to letting the store dictate to me what I'm going to purchase. Yeah, that's really good thinking. Um, and I sometimes think that people aren't uh, as aware as possibly they should be when they go into those retail outlets, mm-hmm. when there is so much available and, and like you say, so much sort of screaming at you to buy. Uh, yeah, it's a good way to become very aware of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, and the last one, we've just got a few more seconds. I love this. Have a night in with friends. 
Yeah. So, you know, the best times that I've had with my friends are typically not at a bar, not at a loud smoke-filled place where you can hardly hear anybody. Um, you know, you could set up a board games night, you could cook together, you can, you know, watch some cultural event together, whether it's the World Cup or something different. You know, a lot of times it's it's who you're with, it's it's what you're doing and the money that's spent, you know, it doesn't always add to it. It can just detract. Yeah, excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about or how to get a hold of Sands & Associates, check out the website, sands-trustee.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So if you have debt in this segment, we're going to talk about four resources that you should know about. And Blair, of course, is a licensed insolvency trustee, um, so he's got really, really good information. But these are things that I could do without your help. Yeah, three of the four things we're going to talk about just consist of arming consumers with the right knowledge, the right insights, the right information. Um, some of these are loyal listeners will know because we allude to them over time. But if I were to say, you know, what are the four things people really need to know if they're facing debt and they're just not sure where to turn? Here's a couple really good or here's four really good good places to start. Okay, if nothing else to get more information about and see if your situation fits this. Mm-hmm. So the first one is called Seize or Sue. Yeah, so this is a provision that to my knowledge, it's unique to BC and Alberta. It doesn't exist in many other provinces in Canada. And what it really relates to is vehicle financing for the most part. So it means if you've financed a vehicle, and I've seen this with my clients, sometimes they consolidate a bunch of debt when they're financing a vehicle. So literally they might have a $20,000 car when they drive it off the lot, but when they took the loan out, um, the dealership said, okay, you know, we can consolidate your credit card debt and other things, or maybe you had some negative equity from another vehicle, so on and so forth. Oh, fair enough. So sometimes you can end up, as soon as you drive off the lot, owing a ton more than what that car was ever worth. Um, And if you find yourself over time thinking, you know what, this car isn't performing or it isn't working, or, you know, I don't like paying 50 or $60,000 for sometimes a Kia Rio or, you know, similar compact type of car, you might feel like you have no other options that if you don't make payments on the loan, well, you're going to have to pay this debt somehow. Or if they come and take the car back because it's repossessed, they're going to hold you accountable for every dollar that you owe on the debt. And that's just not true. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought about the consolidation part where you're Mm -hmm. putting other things onto that, not just the car loan. Yeah. Okay, so how does it work then? Yeah, so the way that it works in the province of BC, if you finance the consumer good, so not, you know, a business vehicle, not an asset that you use in business, and not real estate. So, you know, if you have a mortgage on your house and you stop paying the mortgage, they will sell the house. And if the house doesn't sell for enough, they'll hold you accountable for that shortfall. Those are very clear. With a vehicle, it doesn't work the same way. If you stop making payments on a vehicle, the the lender has to decide. They're either going to seize the vehicle back from you, literally come and take the car or the truck, or they're going to say, keep the vehicle, we're going to sue you for the full payment on our loan, but they're not allowed to do both. Okay. Okay. If we're in any other province and let's say we've got a $10,000 car that we owe $30,000 on, if they come and seize that car from us and sell it for 10 at auction, they give us a bill for $20,000. In the province of BC, if they come and seize that $10,000 car, sell it at auction for $10,000, the $20,000 loss cannot be passed along to the consumer. It has to be absorbed by the financer. Now, is that the case even if it was a consolidated 
uh, loan? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the onus is on them to figure out whether or not you're a good enough risk. Yeah, whether the person's actually able to afford these payments. Now, the person that might get sued is the person that legitimately can afford to pay for all these debts. So if someone is sitting there, you know, a house with oodles of equity in it, and they financed a car and they stopped making the payments it's quite possible the car dealership is going to say, you know what, we think if we sued you, we'd be able to get this money. Um, you know, basically, we'd register a title on your house. That person might get sued. Right. But if you're listening out here and you've got very few assets, you know, you're working, but you know, you're not pulling in $10,000 a month, for example, odds are that the dealership is going to take you know, the first loss is the best loss type of thing, meaning that they're just going to take the asset, the sure thing, rather than take the risk of trying to sue you and making you pay um, you know, the full amount of the loan if they're successful in suing you. Yeah, because it all depends on how good you look in the court, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of not your, your situation, not how you actually look. Oh yeah, your situation, yeah. If it's clear you're making $2,000 a month, a bunch of that has to go for rent and food and so on and so forth, what are they reasonably going to be able to convince a judge to make you pay back? Right. $100 a month on fifty grand. Well, that's going to take forever. I don't think so. Yeah, right? and you've got children and all, all those kinds of things. Okay, so that's interesting. And that's, and that's really interesting knowing that British Columbia is the only one, mm-hmm. the only province that operates that way. Yeah, BC and Alberta, so kind of Western oh, Canada. But, well, okay. but yeah, definitely Ontario, where I'm originally from. No, you'd be on the hook. You'd, you'd be held accountable for all the shortfalls. Okay. Mm-hmm. Statue of limitations on debt. See, yeah, this is where it doesn't, it's not that it's confusing, but mm-hmm. is there a statute of limitations on debt? Because sometimes it feels like there isn't. Yeah, most people think that there's not, and collection agencies are never going to tell you that the debt is beyond the statute of limitations, but there absolutely is a legal framework that sets out that if you owe somebody money and you don't pay them, they can't hold the you know sword of Damocles over your head for the rest of your life and saying, I'm going to sue you someday. I'm going to sue you. You know that? Okay. They've got to take action within a short period of time. And the law changed a number of years ago. It used to be six years. Someone could threaten to sue you for six years from when you owed a debt and stopped paying oh. it, which is a long time. It's now two years. Okay. But nobody knows about that. And it's two years from the last time you made a payment or the last time you signed a written acknowledgement saying that you owe this money. So if you stop paying on your debts and two years goes by, you can never be forced to pay those debts in a court of law. If a legal action was ever brought against you, you would show up in court, you'd have a three-word defense, statute of limitations, and that would be about the end of it. Okay. So sometimes the worst thing people can do is, you know, sometimes it's good cop, bad cop with collectors. They'll say, you know what, just pay me $5 this month, pay me $10 this month, just, you know, some good faith effort to show that you're serious. And if you're 19 months in of no payments and you make a $5 payment, guess what? You're back to zero and that two-year clock starts again. And and it doesn't matter what the th- the, the debt is, the, the kind of debt is, or are there some sort of, um, uh, you know, specifics around that? There's very few um, exceptions to the type of debt that's not subject to a statute of limitations. Okay. Um, you know, one is if there's already been a civil claim against you, if you've already been taken to court and there's a civil judgment, um, you know, that can typically last for about 14 years. That's a very rare situation, but, you know, that's one where the, the statute of limitations wouldn't apply. And that the average person wouldn't find themselves Typi- in that typically situation. Typically not. Most people aren't sued and have civil awards against them, most people. Right. Um, Canada Revenue Agency and student loans, again, you can't wait out the government, so there is no, no statute 
statute of limitations on government debt. In one way or another, it's got to be dealt with. Um, arrears of child support or spousal support, this just makes sense, right? If you've got obligations, you can't stop paying. And then a couple of years later, say, hey, gee, I've got no, no spousal support or child support obligations. Those would always follow you. Um, but, you know, that's essentially it for the vast majority of cases, credit cards, um, you know, lines of credit, loans, payday loans, different things like that. Most, if not all, consumer debts are subject to the two-year statute of limitations. Okay. And one of them that you talked about in your list, of course, can be dealt with with a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, mm-hmm. like when you talk about the government stuff, yeah. uh, that falls into that category, which of course... Um, can be dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. All of the debts can be dealt with under either a bankruptcy or a proposal. But in some cases, if I've got somebody in my office that's 75 or 80 years old and owes a few thousands of dollars and haven't paid it for two years, I'm educating them on the statute of limitations, counseling them. Maybe you don't need to take any action here. And the next time someone calls, you just basically do what I'm going to tell you next, which is to get your communications in writing only. Great. And that's a, and that's a significant piece. Again, mm-hmm. something that you can do uh, that you don't need someone's help that's or right. a lawyer's help to do, uh, but getting that uh, communication in writing only. Yeah. So if you... If- when I tell people, you know, these collection calls that are really bothering you, you know what, you have the option to just not consent to those calls. I, I get, you know, the, the blank, look, really? I've got the option? Yeah. Because no one will ever tell you you've got the option. I've heard these voicemails and they say, this is a serious legal matter. You must phone us back today. You and know, it's action will be taken against you. Immediately. <laughs> yes. the, yeah. the action will be immediately. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and it won't. There's no immediate action. The action they could potentially take is to hire a lawyer that, hey, in a month, you'll get a statement of claim, if ever. Like it, It's usually not going to happen that yeah. way. But what I encourage people to do is just don't play the game. Just don't accept collection calls. And the province of BC has a provision in the law, a request for communication in writing only. So this means that if someone's calling you to collect a debt, you can send them a letter in a prescribed format, and the letter's available on our website, Sands which, Trustee. Which I think is great yeah, that we, you guys did that. Oh, we want to give all, all the information, right? Uh, you send them a letter in the prescribed format, and then they're not allowed to call you anymore. All they can do is send you a letter rather than come over the phone to, you know, towards you. And you can bet what they would write down on a sheet of paper is a whole lot more innocuous, a whole lot real, you know, more valid than what they might say you know, in a, in a fit of anger or intimidation or something, just trying to get you to pay the debt no matter what. And there's repercussions for those people as well if they don't follow that mm-hmm. letter. Yeah, Consumer Protection BC, they will fine, they will suspend certain debt collectors if they're seen to be flouting the rules. These are legislated requirements. And again, it's just the fact that people don't know about them. I wish the government did a better job to actually explain to consumers, you have more rights than you think when you owe people money. Right. Very cool. Um, government debt forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of the one that, well, it's pretty serious. You yeah. can't fool around with that. Yeah, so the things that I've spoken or we've spoken about in the segment so far, you can typically do on your own. Um, They don't require any professional to help you. But if you owe the government money, typically you do want to get a professional working on your behalf, like a licensed insolvency trustee. So if it's a situation where, you know, whether it's GST, income tax debt, student loans, um, you know, whatever it might be, um, you can file a consumer proposal or you can file a personal bankruptcy and those debts can get dealt with the same as every other debt. And that's really important to note. Um, and I can, I can, from personal experience, you have to deal with them. You mm-hmm. have to deal with Canada Revenue Agency. You yep. cannot ignore them. You can't. And they, and you have to, Yeah. I, I thought I had a good enough reason why I wasn't dealing with it, with death of a parent, right? Are you right. kidding? And there, they, there's no provision for that. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty sad, right? Right, and money has to be paid regardless, and interest is charged and all that kind of stuff. But if I couldn't have paid that, that's when I would come and seek you out. Absolutely. If it's a situation where the government debt is beyond what you can afford, you don't have assets you know, that could reasonably pay off the debt, that's when you would need the help of a licensed insolvency trustee because only a licensed insolvency trustee can actually force the government to back off. We can force the government to accept a reasonable settlement under a consumer proposal, which that's the only way you can make a deal with CRA. If you're trying to negotiate with the collector over the phone and saying, you know what, how about 30% on this or how about 50% with no interest? Uh, They might not laugh, but you're definitely not going to get anywhere with it. They're just not empowered to make any deals with you. The only way to make a deal on government debt is to file a consumer proposal through a licensed insolvency trustee and you get full protection the whole way, you get some financial counseling sessions, you get everything turned around so you can move on and you know deal positively with the government instead of being in fear of them. Yeah, and it won't be for that for that big huge amount that you owe either, right? They'll fall in line with everyone else yeah. in terms of of being reasonable about it. It'll be for what you can afford. So, yeah. you know, if you can afford to pay back the debt of $5,000 but you need a little bit of time, well then okay, the proposal might give you payments over a longer period of time to pay it back in full. If it's 50,000 they want and we look at your budget, you can afford a couple hundred bucks a month and that's it. Well, we're not going to have you paying for 20 years. You're going to pay a maximum of 5 years and it's going to be a reasonable deal. If you want that form that we were talking about for the uh, statute of limit or for the request in communication and writing only, uh, that's on the website sands-trustee.com. If you want more information, go to the website. It's terrific. It's got tons of questions and answers. Uh, if you want to give them a call, the one eight hundred number is six six one thirty thirty. Get that first free consultation as well as find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You know, it's always so great when we get a chance to hear from a real person who's gone through either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal to find out how they got to that place and then realize that they got the right help, they could get out of all that worry, the stress of a large debt, or an ever-increasing debt, whatever the circumstances. Uh, We're so lucky to have Christy on the show with us right now, on the line with us. Uh, Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We're so happy. Uh, We just, Blair and I just both so believe that when people get a chance to hear other folks uh, talk about their situation, um, it can be so helpful because they all of a sudden feel they're not alone, and that maybe they can take the same kind of steps that you did. So we really appreciate you being able to do this. Great. Thank you. So can you first uh, tell us uh, about your unique situation that brought you to Sands & Associates? Sure. I had lost my job where I was making a really great salary, and I couldn't find a job within the city that I lived in with a comparable salary. And so I was actually forced to change my career path. Oh, wow. And that's what brought me to Sands & Associates. And that's significant. And you're also not alone because we know that that happens to folks. And it probably happens more time, more times than we, than we can imagine. Um, so thank you, for, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and often it takes people a long time to be able to take the, 
take the next step of getting help. Can you talk about how long it took you from from point to point before you started, um, you know, to when you decided you needed some help? Well, I actually only waited two months, but I knew the seriousness of my situation immediately. And I didn't want to wait too long to try and fix it. And when I had spoken to my family, they agreed that if I wasn't able to get on the correct path quickly, it would be pretty bad for my credit. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you know the seriousness of your situation? What, what was going on in, in your life with your finances at that time? Well, I definitely wasn't able to make my payments anymore. I was mm-hmm. able to just pay barely pay rent. Okay. And I knew that the phone calls would start, and they did. And of course... It's difficult to try and speak to creditors on the phone. They don't, they don't tend to want to work with somebody all the time. And so I knew that I had to take a different step because I wasn't able to pay them properly. Now, what were some of those conversations like, Christy, if you don't mind elaborating a bit? Because I have um, people come in the door and it's like, you know, they've, they've seen a ghost sometimes or they've just gotten off the phone with some collectors just from, you know, the type of, of tactics or tone or different things like that. Did you find it was different collector to collector? What was your experience? Um, Some of the collectors, you could tell that they were reading from a manual that they had been given, but others were were very unkind. They were trying to indicate that I should use a credit card to make a payment, Mm. and if I couldn't, then they were indicating I should get a loan to make a payment. Right. And when I explained to them, I actually cannot do any of those things. It's not not capable for me. I can't go out and get a loan just to pay another debt. They usually were quite rude to me on the phone, indicating that it was going to be on my credit report for a very long time and that I would never be able to buy a home and they would start (laughs) in on those kinds of spiels. Wow. So good for you not to believe any of that and, Mm -hmm. and to know better. I mean, boy, oh boy, Christy, you were you were pretty lucky uh, that you had you had that knowledge that you knew that you couldn't follow the path that they wanted you to, and that there was a better way. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, how did you find Sands and Associates? Oh, they were so kind. They um, they made me feel feel very comfortable and reassured that there would be a solution, mm-hmm. and there was no judgment. They were very compassionate towards me, and walked me through each step of the process, explaining what my options were, and that if we couldn't go in one direction, that there was another one that we could try. And they never made me feel like I was less than. They didn't judge me for my situation or how I even got to this point over the years. And, and Christy, can you share a bit? What did we actually help you with respect to your confidentiality? I've given no background, you know, on anything here. But um, you know, obviously, we help with bankruptcies and with proposals. And sometimes we end up just, you know, giving some free advice on pe- how people can deal with their debts. Are you comfortable mm-hmm. saying, you know, what we were able to assist you with? Absolutely. Um, when I went in, we discussed bankruptcy, and then they started telling me more about consumer proposals. I had never even heard of a consumer proposal before. Mm, and the collectors and never so, tell you that either. <laughs> that, no, that, they don't. That's something. It's information I, I, warfare, right? Yes. I immediately thought that I would have to claim bankruptcy. And so hearing they, they walked me through the consumer proposal process and let me know what it meant and how long it would take and what it meant for me for the future. And gave me the time to just even think about it, go home, talk to my husband, decide what was best for us. And it was actually a really great feeling to know that someone was on my side. Hmm. 
So it was, so you ended up going with the con- consumer propo- proposal? Yes, I did. Great. And what surprised you about that process, ha- having never even heard of it before? And believe me, you are not alone in that. Uh, mm-hmm. what, was, what were the things that surprised you or that you liked about it the best? Well, I liked the fact that it wasn't claiming bankruptcy, that it was significantly different from claiming bankruptcy. Um, the fact that you could, at the end of your consumer proposal, try and build up your credit right away, that um, creditors in the future wouldn't tend to look as badly towards you when you had a consumer proposal, that they would tend to want to work with you seeing the work you've done to try and pay your debts off. Sure. And um, at I, I just can't help but think that this has impacted you in sort of how you view finances. I mean, you were in a, a wonderful position in that you had a terrific job and were making really, really good money and then obviously made diff- another career choice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what kind of, how has it impacted your sort of attitudes or behavior towards your finances? It's completely changed my view on income and debt. Interesting. Yes, realizing that it's important to get a handle on debt, it was a huge learning curve for me. I definitely was not taught that growing up from my parents. I wasn't taught that once I was out of school, and it's been trial and error. And it definitely, having the consumer proposal, showing me what what I had done to my own credit to begin with, and then how I could fix it. I didn't want to go backwards. I wanted to make sure I was going forwards, and now I knew how much your credit is important and that consumer proposal can help move you in the right direction to try and correct any past mistakes. And Christy, do you have any words of advice or words of wisdom for someone who might be in a similar position, you know, someone listening to the show who's maybe thinking, oh my God, I didn't know about a proposal existed. You know, what, what type of advice would you give to someone if, you know, if it was yourself a number of years ago? I would tell them to try to not be so hard on yourself. That's good it's advice. It's uh, very yeah. common to struggle to manage debt, but that there's so many resources out there and wonderful people who are willing to help you pull yourself out of the vicious cycle and that having debt doesn't make you a bad person. Mm-hmm. And it often doesn't take much of a change in your life to completely offset everything that's going on around you and make debt start to compound so quickly. And could you describe uh, in, in a few sentences where you are right now in your life? Well, right now, um, we are obviously I'm paying my consumer proposal off. And so I keep, I keep an eye on my um, credit rating to see how it's doing. And I'm also taking the knowledge that I have and imparting it on my husband and my son. Nice. So that at least they won't make the same mistakes that I did. And that credit is something that you have to be careful with. That it isn't just, it isn't a toy, it isn't a game and... And, and people don't often get explained that when they're young and can apply for a credit card. Absolutely. Christy, that was great. You've given, you've given uh, a, our listener a lot of really, really good information. Uh, if you'd like to check out uh, the uh, Sands & Associates website, it's terrific. It's sands-trustee.com. Or you can give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Get that first free consultation uh, to find an office near you.
The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.